Hello everyone and welcome to How Is Today, the podcast on a mission to break the silence around grief by showing friends who haven't gone through grief how to talk about it, starting with one curious question at a time. Today I'm joined by the amicable, compassionate, entrepreneurial and zealous Zach Pym-Williams. Zach is an investor, mental health advocate and most recently an entrepreneur. He's also the son of the vivacious Valerie Velardi and the late, great Robin Williams. Welcome to the How Is Today podcast, Zach. Albie, thank you so much for having me today. It's such a pleasure to be on. Where do we find you today, Zach? I just moved to Sherman Oaks in the Los Angeles area, but more specifically in the Valley. Nice. And uh, did you grow up in Los Angeles? I grew up in the Bay Area in San Francisco, actually. One of the rare few folks that have been born and raised in San Francisco. Uh, Tell me about your childhood. I'm really curious to learn what it was like. I had a great childhood from an early age, was raised in an environment that was loving, and I found myself as a child of divorced parents going back and forth between homes a lot. And that was interesting because it enabled me to establish two different family lives. And I, I like that. In terms of what it was like growing up as the son of a celebrity, it was interesting insofar as I had a dad who was very present and then he would go for months on end and you know whether it was on tour or filming films he would go and focus on that so you know very present for sprints and then i would not see him for a while and so i i i learned how to really appreciate friends and my family you know in the context in the situation at hand, meaning going back and forth between families. I, you know, I had a great foundation, I had loving parents, and just learned how to kind of roll with the changes that happened. Because I had to be adaptable to manage the constantly shifting home environment. Not in a bad way, just, just in a way. Mm. Whenever you talk about your life, your upbringing, your family, there's just one word that really comes to mind, which is love. And, you know, anyone that knows you will say you're a really loving person. And I'm, I'm interested, is that something that you feel like you picked up from your mom? Or is it something that was just abundant throughout your family environment? Um, love was certainly abundant. I think, for me, I do default to being loving and compassionate. I think at times I can be guarded and being unconditionally giving. Mm. And I think that in part is a result of having been let down or hurt in the past for any number of different reasons. And the challenge with that is if you want to orient towards being loving and compassionate, you know, sometimes it can be hard to manage time because <laughs> yeah. people, people pick up on that. And I think that healthy boundary component is important, especially for one's own mental health. Mm. I'd love to understand how and in what situation you're guarded. And the reason I'm interested is because 
in the beautiful documentary come inside my mind one of your dad's best friends billy crystal beautifully encapsulates friendship which was i didn't want anything from your dad robin williams i just i just really liked him and i'm interested with regards to being guarded is that to do with people just wanting things from you and you feeling like you can be taken advantage of if you're just too loving and giving uh you know it it depends i think earlier in my life when you want to impress you want to please potentially want to entertain it's any number of different things that you might want to do to make somebody happy or make them like you that then it can create a challenging environment because you're never going to please everybody mm. you're never going to make everyone like you and the sooner you can come to terms with that the more that you can find healthy friendships and relationships so i i've come to learn that more over time but it's not something that i defaulted to especially when i was younger i really wanted to please and if you have that mindset it can be exhausting you can literally exhaust yourself i think so many human beings can resonate with the need to be liked and associating their feeling of of adequacy and of being enough with this feeling of being liked and i'm curious you know with regards to your mom and dad they seem like a great partnership do you feel like the need for connection that your dad had potentially the need to be liked because he was such a public figure was something that caused some strain in their marriage perhaps it's it's hard for me to say i think it just related to them finding happiness in different places <laughs> and it was hard when my dad would go away and work for months on end that that can be very straining on on a relationship you know i i feel for people who want to have healthy relationships in in the entertainment world because it it requires a lot of empathy for the other person and and also in some respects sacrifice to be able to have to lend <laughs> for lack of a better word but i think to be able to acknowledge that a celebrity and entertainer has a prerogative and a mandate to entertain mm. and to have an audience and and to engage and have a relationship with that audience and and that can be that can be very taxing on relationship yeah i love the turn of phrase that behind every great man is an even better woman and from the little i know of your mom she sounds like that sort of woman i'd love to learn more about her what's she like my mother is a yoga teacher with a foundation in dance she was a dance teacher prior and at this time she's very focused <laughs> on teaching mm. she got you on the mat zack uh she has i was always <laughs> resistant and had a bit of aversion to to yoga i'm i'm more <laughs> open to it now um that said i'm not i'm not terribly flexible <laughs> and um i'd love to understand your dad a bit more you know what are your happiest memories of your of your wonderful dad Oh man, so many happy memories. I really loved spending time with my dad as a friend. <laughs> he wasn't an authority figure in my life and and that was <laughs> and that was okay. It it was mainly someone who shared several mutual interests with me. He was a big military history buff. He was very passionate about things like animation, 
uh, computer games, video games, and collecting. So a lot of the best memories I have were spent with him pursuing hobbies. That's what we loved to do together. I loved experiencing his appreciation for books and history. And also he was very curious and engaged with emerging scientific research. He liked to surround himself with beyond other peers in the entertainment world, scientists and authors. It was a great mix. And I, I found that his soul was sustained by learning. He had this incredible way about him on a genius level to make associations and to learn information extremely quickly and then associate that information with other information and create a mosaic that in turn turned out to be extremely insightful. And, and that was really awesome to experience. I bet. I bet. And I'd love to understand, you know, how you are going to convey or communicate who your who your dad was to your kids, you know, as someone who's, who's lost his dad, I, in some ways, also grieving for the missed opportunities of, of my kids to get to know my favorite human. And I'm interested, is that something that you have thought about? I certainly think about how we will, as parents, communicate the works of my dad to our children. My son, Mickey, has already been exposed to Aladdin and the genie in the film <laughs> Aladdin, and he seems to like the genie. Um, <laughs> Sweet. But, uh, you know, he, he's young. He's, he's not quite two years old yet. And so there's still time. To, <laughs> you know, we're not, we're not seeking to rush things. I think it's important for us to really try to think about kind of organically layering in our family history. So beautiful that your, your son can have a connection with your dad, with his grandpa through the medium of film. That's so lovely. And, you know, lots of people who go through grief end up sort of really understanding death and life in a sort of different, a different sort of relationship. Is there something that, again, you will teach your kids about life because of, you know, what you've learned going through the death of your father? It's, again, it's really about patience and in terms of dealing with grief, letting yourself find opportunities to be vulnerable and to experience grief and loss. It's, it's something that was difficult for me to experience initially and, and finding ways to be happy and, and, and enriched by the people around you. And, you know, I think it's important just to be present because life is short. That impermanence and fragility of life is so obvious when you lose someone super close to you and, it sounds strange to people when you say impermanence and fragility because the longevity of life is, is going up and up and up. And yet most people lose someone, you know, in their early, someone very close to them in their early 20s. You know, I read a statistic the other day that 50% of Americans are grieving someone they've lost, someone very close to them that they've lost in the last five years. And it seems like a, a massively stigmatized subject, don't you think? It, it still is stigmatized, certainly. I think through the pandemic, we've experienced a shared trauma, whether it's being isolated or self-medicating to manage the stress and anxiety associated, depression associated with, you know, being isolated or disconnected from peers over a long period of time. 
hopefully there's an opportunity to really embrace a new normal, one in which we can have stigma broken down and, and be more connected with folks. I mean, th that, that's really one of the key considerations associated with stigma is that if you don't find opportunities for threads of connection, then we're just isolated bubbles or pods trying to go at it alone. The more that we can find commonalities and shared, whether it's shared interest or, or shared experience or empathy for different experience, I think the more decent people they'll be. <laughs> and it's hard. Often we need to be guarded just going about daily life. It's just the exhaust of the modern era. <laughs> and it's exhausting. And yet it's necessary, right? And, you know, I'm interested with your own relationship with grief. You know, how did you, how did you express it? How did you, I guess, deal with it in a, in a way that has kept you not just alive, but someone that's building a business and just someone who seems to have a, a zest for life? You know, I didn't want to acknowledge the full impact of grief on me, especially after my dad died by suicide and the immediate fallout associated with that over the course of, you know, almost 18 months. But over time, I started realizing that I was really burning out and, and not taking care of myself and wasn't acknowledging the full bore grief of it. And so I just needed to find opportunities to sustain myself and find ways to feel fulfilled so I could show up for others. That's really what it comes down to. And how did you find that, that sustenance? Uh, a lot of it was through service, through working with organizations, through supporting them around different initiatives. And the focus around mental health organizations was something that I found to be really sustaining and, and beneficial over time for me. It seems like mental health is, or mental health advocacy and your own story is now sort of intertwined. Yeah, I believe that focusing on mental health initiatives and work around mental health support is part of my path to happiness, plain and simple. It can be really taxing at times, but it, that's part of the growth process. It can, it can take a lot out of you, especially if you're sharing your story a lot and taking a lens of vulnerability. It can be draining. And so I need to find ways to sustain and continue building up opportunities to take care of myself. It strikes me that there's a, there's a conversation to have between what mental health is and how that potentially is the cause and the symptoms of poor mental health are often now neglected or, or misunderstood. And there are people out there that say that 20, maybe as much as 30% of unexpressed grief is contributing towards the epidemic in, in mental health. You know, what role does the conversation around grief play in your mental health advocacy? Well, at this point, I've processed a lot of it. And so what I often do is I share my experience, but you know, it comes in waves. It, it comes back and I'm learning how to manage those times. Um, the main thing for me is to work out ways in which I can be supportive of others through their process of grieving while I can still be healthy in boundary setting and, and be present for my family and kids. This is something that I need to do. 
And you know, what role has has your own grief played in the in the genesis and implementation of your of your new business? Can you tell us more about it and the role that grief has played in that journey? So, my company, Prepare Your Mind, is a mental health support company that stands for mental health advocacy and providing safe, effective, natural products for people in need of mood support. And I found a lot of unhealthy things were occurring as I was trying to manage the trauma associated with my dad dying by suicide. I I was drinking alcoholically to manage the stress and anxiety, and it was just slowly degrading my quality of life. I was unhappy and and still very stressed and anxious and having bouts of depression. And I just needed to find solutions to heal. <laughs> and the service work was really important, but when combined with drinking alcoholically, it doesn't help in the longer run. And so I needed to find ways to sustain me through not drinking, A, cutting out alcohol from my life, but then coinciding with that, finding ways in which I could balance out my system. And I found amino acid formulations to be really helpful for me personally, like transformationally helpful. And so I wanted to start a company that was focused on mental health support at scale and to stand for mental health support as a brand. My healing process and the like led me to creating this company to provide support for others. It seems like your your dad and you had a beautiful relationship and you were able to communicate through some of his difficult times. And And I'm wondering how often you were thinking about what you learned from him when he was communicating with you when he was going through some of his difficult times. Well, we did communicate a lot. He was my best friend. And the challenge with that often was it, it, it's hard. It, it's hard between, you know, a parent and child. It can be hard to sometimes communicate what you're going through. I often found uh, myself wanting to be there for him in the ways that I felt like I needed to be, but didn't know how to. You know, often I didn't have the tool set to to really support him outside of just being loving and just being there as a as a son. In hindsight, I feel like it would have been beneficial to learn more productive ways to to communicate around challenges I was having or better listen around the challenges he was having, take more of an active listening mindset. And I, I, I think that that just relates to most of my relationships. It's, uh, it's beautifully put, Zach, and it really speaks to the DNA of how is today, really encouraging people to actively listen, but also encourage people to ask the questions because the silence is often what makes it more difficult. And if you go into a situation trying to find answers or give answers particularly if they're unsolicited often it doesn't lead to helping the person express themselves you use words like tools earlier and i know you've said publicly that there's no education in place to to teach us how to deal with grief you know what sort of education do you think we need well i think the first thing we need to do is really break down the stigma that will enable things like education and peer-led resources to help break through. But I think 
in order to really layer it into our culture. I'm speaking in the U.S., but I think it could handily be stated that this this extends to most of the world. We need to find ways to understand the culture associated with grief and ideally have productive habits, productive values, productive pathways to healing versus, say, shutting off and isolating and the like. Um, We can focus on breaking down the stigma and bias so that we can then give people the opportunity and space to grieve and find ways to heal uh, because I, I I was shut down and isolated for a long period of time. Yeah, I, I was the same. It took me eight years to to get into therapy. And it, it just felt like I felt guilty about my grief because no one was really willing to talk about it. And the more research Clemmy and I have done, we've realized that there's potentially an interesting conversation to be had about how lots of grievers don't actually end up going down the services that are on offer because they're just not ready. And one of the questions that we're sort of posing with this podcast is actually should or can friends maybe take a bit of agency? Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. That's why I appreciate how is today. I think it really helps set better context and helps open up the the present, where one stands and how they feel like their places in the world at this moment in time. It's important. I also struggled with uh, with words that were just left unsaid because you know my my old man went to take a phone call and then you know had a heart attack and I never saw him again and those those words left unsaid ate me up inside for a bit. Uh, I'm wondering whether you had or still have any sort of words that you feel are left unsaid with your with your dad. You know, I always told him I loved him, but I I wish. I wish I could have told him it was it was gonna be okay, um, because he was just going through so much, and to see him in anguish and frustrated was was heartbreaking. It was difficult to express how much I love him, <laughs> and so you know. It really, it really took a toll when 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 I saw him in in anguish and frustrated, you know, and and uh, and that broke my heart. What do you think he would say to you now? I'm sure he'd be hugely proud of all the work you've done, both inside and out. But you know, what do you think he would he would be saying to you right now, Zach? I think he would he would be glad that I'm finding ways to be happy. <laughs> <laughs> That's really what he cared about. It's just, you know, he cared how I was doing, whether I was feeling sustained and happy with the work I was doing and whether I was happy and sustained in life. Um, and, uh, you know, taking good care of, of the animals in my life. Um, <laughs> he, he cared a lot about all creatures and so um that was what mattered to him well i know everyone listening to this podcast will just be thankful and grateful to you for the work you're doing and for the vulnerability and authenticity with which you've answered some of my 
curious questions. And the last question is going to be to do with this octopus of grief. You know, we talk about the elephant in the room and the elephant is the thing that people don't ask questions about because it is this elephant in the room. And through the work of How Is Today, we're really trying to reimagine that conversation through the image of an octopus, this thing that's always with you when you lose someone. And some days it's malevolent and disruptive and you know causes you to feel depressed but other moments it's light and you don't necessarily feel proud of it but it's it's a big part of who you are and so you've learned to to live with it and so my friend the last question I'd love to ask you is how is your octopus today Zach? My octopus is busy (laughs) (laughs) it's I'm working on ways to be productive and manage my time while being present. I really care about being focused and present. If I don't expend energy seeking to be present, then I can just be in my head or just up in the clouds. And so my octopus is busy seeking to be present. Thank you so much, Zach, for taking part in this podcast. That wraps up the series. I hope everyone has enjoyed listening to it as much as Clemmy and I have enjoyed asking curious questions to our fascinating and lovely guests. The How Is Today message, it's all about breaking the silence around grief, one curious question at a time. We want you to join us on this mission, so please join the conversation and find us on Instagram or on our website. We really would love to hear from you. And just remember, you know, if your friend has an octopus, please don't be scared if you don't know how to talk about it. Just start by asking a curious question. How Is Today is produced and edited by Sophie Black.